Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. It's going to be a great day today. We are so excited that you're in church with us. How many of you know what next Sunday is? Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. Come on, somebody. Easter Sunday. And we are are going to be having next Sunday three services, 815, 945, and 1115. And so we are going to be having our kids' environments for the 945 and the 1115 services. And so we would encourage you, invite, share, go on social and share it. Invite your friends, your family, your social, your social circles. We have been planning a service that we believe is going to be impactful. And it doesn't matter where you are within your faith journey, it is going to speak to you. So just ensure you, you come out next Sunday and invite most of the time on Easter, sun, sun, on Easter Sunday. If you invite, people will come because it's the day. We call them Christers, right? Christmas and what? Easter is the time that many people will go to church to check the religious box. But we believe as people are checking that religious box, they will encounter a real relationship with Jesus. So we would love for you to do that. We promise you if they come next week, they're going to hear the gospel. They're, they're going to hear about the power of, of what Jesus did. He rose from the dead. They are going to encounter the power of God. So we would love for them to come and join us next week. So I am doing something that I normally don't do, and this is reminding me of why I don't do it, and that is using electronic notes. And... Um, so I am having a problem bringing them up. And, and like I said, this is why I don't normally do this. I like the physical notes, but this week I was like, I'll just give it a shot. I'll give it a try. I get up here, and guess what it's not doing? Working. So I just want to have a moment of thanksgiving to the Lord right now. Um, while inside, I'm like, John, see, you, 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 okay. All right, you know what? I, I think I got it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you, Lord. Okay. So today, we are continuing our series, It's Not Over. But today, the sermon is called, It's Not Over, But It Was Over. It's not over, but it was, but it was over. As we are journeying to the resurrection of Jesus, we can't get to the resurrection without suffering. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we talked about last week, praying, Lord, if, or Father, if you could keep this next week from me, do it, but not what I will, your will be done. We looked at Jesus' suffering, and we can't get to the resurrection of Jesus without going through the path of the cross. 
without going through the path of the cross, today we're going to look at the cross, but not just the cross specifically. We're going to take a pretty in-depth look at, and really I would even say difficult look, at what put Jesus on the cross. And what put Jesus on the cross was love, yes, but ultimately what put Jesus there was sin. Was sin. One of the things that Jesus said when he was on the cross, right before he took his final breath, the apostle John, who wrote one of the four gospels, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, he actually documented that one of the things that Jesus said on the cross before he took his last breath was, it is finished. It is finished. Now, if you go into the Greek and you actually see what word Jesus Used, it actually extracts a powerful implication for us. The Greek word was the Greek word, and I've always struggled to say Greek words. I'm a stuttering pastor, so I struggle saying regular English words. Then you get into this Greek stuff, and it's like, man, I think I don't stutter in Greek because it would be even bad. It would be even worse. So, so we got this here, right? It's tetelestai, which, which simply means, means this, to end to bring to completion, to bring to a conclusion, to complete, to accomplish, to fulfill, to finish. Now, additionally, a, a couple other things. One, the tense that is used here specifically for this word means something that happens at a specific point in time, a moment, but also continues on into the future and has ongoing results and implications. Essentially saying... A debt was paid, and, and, and really this word wasn't a counting word. Basically saying there was a debt, but the, but the debt has been paid. It's been brought to completion. It's been fulfilled. It's been completed. Yet what happened at that moment doesn't just affect that specific moment. It has effects going on into the future. So basically saying a debt was paid, but the debt keeps on getting paid. Not just the debt was paid, the debt is paid, and the debt will be paid. And whenever we say, why would Jesus say this? Like, why would Jesus say the final thing he said, it is finished? Because what he was saying was, is the mission is accomplished, the debt has been paid, the debt of sin that we all owed has been paid completely, in full, the check was cashed by Jesus. He paid the price we should have paid because of the sin we committed, not the sin he committed, the sin we committed. One of the things that John, John Stott, a, a preacher and theologian said, he said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Before we begin to see the cross as something that was done in our place and for our sin, we cannot skip the fact that the cross was something done by us. Today we're going to talk about sin, and I don't know about you, but even some of you hearing that word in church brings back trauma. Because you went to a church or you were at a church or at some point in your church or, you know, like some of you, you grew up and all you heard about in church was sin and how bad you were 
And it, it, it was almost like God is this principal in a school with a paddle waiting to beat you every Sunday. Like, and that was what your frame of God was. It was almost like you were walking into church, like you're walking into the principal's office, waiting to get yours. And waiting to hear the preacher just talk about how bad you are, how, how bad, you know, how bad what you've done is. And it's, it's, it's just almost, and, you did, and because of that, you did not view church as something to be enjoyed. You viewed church as something to be endured. And it was just, just like, all right, I'm going to the principal's office. And it did not evoke inside of you any sense of the love of God. All you heard about was the wrath of God. And even when some of you hear that word sin, some of you just see a, a preacher on the side of the street, on the street corner, yelling about sin. But... I want to get up, like, my prayer today is that you would see my heart, but not just my heart, God's heart for you. And that you would see how deep sin is, but at the same time as you see how gross our sin is, at the same time you would see how beautiful the love and the kindness and the mercy that God gives is. You would not just see the sin, you'd see the grace. You wouldn't just see the wrongdoing, you would see the love. You would see the cross and what Jesus did for, for you. But what the heck is sin? I mean, does anyone know what sin is any, anymore? I, I'm, I mean, seriously, it's, it's, it's like we have no clue because everyone has their own interp- interp- or like our kind of like own interpretation of what sin is, but no one asks the Bible what it is. Like, it seems like no one goes to the Bible to be like, what is Sin, and, and, and sin, the word in, in Scripture is actually an archery term that essentially means the bullseye's been missed. And, and the, the standard that God has set forth, the standard that the creator, he's not created, he's the creator, so he's got the right to create a standard, that essentially when somebody misses that mark, they have sinned. They have missed the standard that the creator has set. Now, we could go into a lot of different implications and what this means, but I love what John Tyson says. He says, sin is the sovereignty of self. Sin is the sovereignty of self. It is literally taking you and putting it at the center of the universe where you are the, the director of what is right and wrong. You are the one who makes the rules. You are the one, like you are the center. You, like sin at its core is you saying, I am higher than God. My standard is greater than him. The created trumps the creator. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things we see in our culture is that the concept of self has been elevated to the divine. Let me give you an an example. It seems like the only sin in our culture is to be against or say something against what somebody perceives as their authentic self. That no one cares how we talk against or speak against God. But if you say something against what somebody perceives as their true self, that's the ultimate cultural sin. And I think 
the reason behind that is because self has been pretty much propped up, elevated to a divine-like status. So what, so what do we say? Everyone has this inherent goodness within them. And everyone has this inherent goodness. And so all you have to do is press past all the toxic people, all the self-negativity, all the bad thoughts about yourself, and just dig down deep when there's a good little you in there. And the deeper you go, the better it, it is. And you just get more into that little authentic self, and you let that self come out. And once you let that authentic self, self-actualized self come out, then that's when we will see heaven on earth. How is that going? Because I see a direct correlation between the focus on self and depression. The focus on self and anxiety. The focus on self and greed. The focus on self and all of, all of these structural, institutional things we see out here. Could it be the issue is that we are too focused on diving into ourselves. We are more focused on looking inside more than we are looking up. Because the more we look inside, we are created. We are not creator. The more we look inside, really what Scripture says is the heart is deceitful above all. So could it be the more we dig inside, the more deceit we give into Instead of, instead of looking out in, in, we look up and we say, maybe we need to look to the creator about how the created should act and function. And I think there's a direct correlation. And now let me be clear. There's not like you, all human beings are created in the image of God. So there is an intrinsic value and an intrinsic worth on every single person. That's why one of our core values at LifeHouse is simply this, honor everyone. Everyone deserves honor because they're marked, they're stamped with the image of God. But we are like God. We are not God. And that's where the problem lies. We are created in the, what, image of God, meaning we have God-like characteristics and qualities, yet at the same time, we are not God. And when the created takes the place of the creator, and the creator is subjected to the creation and the created, that's where we run into the focus is on the self. The biblical narrative and story is not that humans are just innately good. It doesn't paint that picture. I hate to break it to you. Scripture is actually quite bleak. So much so, it even says this. Romans 3.12, it says, all have turned away, no one does good. Romans 3.20 says, for everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. Like, so it's, it's, it's not just you pointing at someone else and saying, what, what? No, it's like, like God's pointing at us. <laughs> it's all y'all. It's all y'all. <laughs> it's all of us. everybody and and but you know but at the same time i think we can be so blinded and so and 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 pretty much have so much deception that that we don't see how deep this sin thing runs in us 
So I want to give you a couple ways to maybe think about it that might help you understand the, the depth of why Scripture, Jesus, of why Scripture would, would say all have turned away. There's no one that does good, not even one. And why this is actually good news. Because I think some of you are even struggling to see, John, this is not encouraging. I came today. This is my first time here. Thought I was going to like it. Thought I was going to be encouraged. We're going to get to the good news, I promise. But before you know how good the good news is, sometimes you got to know how bad the bad news is. So let me just describe to you a little bit about how the Bible describes sin. Like one of the things, sin is horizontal and vertical. Meaning like we sin against people, but we also sin against something higher than people. We miss the mark against a holy and just and righteous God. Maybe this will help. It's not just a civil case. It's, it's, it's a criminal case. We haven't just committed civil sins horizontally. We have committed criminal. There are two different, right? You, you've got criminal cases where a higher law has been broken. Then you've got a civil law where you've sinned against somebody else and you have to work out de details with the people you've sinned against and work out the civil aspect. But it's, yes, it's, it's horizontal, yes, but it's also criminal, meaning we have broken a law that is higher than us. That is high, and, and really, I think even some people would say, like, why would God require a, his son to be murdered to pay a debt? Isn't that divine child abuse? Like, why would God do that? And what I would simply respond is God is just. He won't even break his own word. Scripture tells, like, like sin requires justice. And do you know why I know this is true? Because you have a sense of justice in you. And you're made in God's image. And so when you see things that should not be, when, some, when, when this kind of like moral guideline, this, this kind of like broad moral guideline has been broken, something in you says that's not right. Something should be done about that. When you've been sinned against, when someone has broken a word with you or, so, or somebody, like there's this inward sense of justice in you that says this is not right. Do you know where you get that from? God. Because you're made in his image. There's a sense of justice in, in you that when something isn't right, you want it made right. When there has not been men's made, you want a men's made. And what I would say to you is when you feel that, you feel the heart of God. And that's why he's called a God of justice. Because I can tell you, tell you this, at some point when Jesus comes back, he's going to make all the wrongs right. All the things you see structurally and systematically in our world of people taking advantage, other people, the rich taking advantage of the poor, one color taking advantage of some, uh, of some different color, and all of these things that we would institutionally and structurally say, these are not right. You know why, as Christians, we have hope? Because our God is the God of justice, and one day he will take all the wrongs and make them right. While we work here on, on this planet to make the wrongs right, there comes a point where we have to leave it to God. And say, he is the God of justice. He's the God of justice. So how does this relate to sin? It relates to sin because 
there was a wrongdoing made. There was a breach in, re in relationship, not because of what God did, but because of what we did. But God, with love and justice, God sent his own son to live a life you couldn't live and die the death you should have, should have died to fulfill the law of justice, to pay a debt that we all owed. Has anyone ever had a debt paid? Like, for real, for real. Like, you know, you had a check you were inspecting in the mail, and you were able to pay off a car. Like, like when, when you have a debt paid, so, so whenever you think about the justice of God, and what, what I've heard is basically on the cross, love and justice kissed. They kissed. Where it's like, how can you have love and justice? You know, love isn't just all, always like feely good. I love my kids. Therefore, if somebody tried to hurt them, the loving response would not be, well, just, you know, do, do what you want. I love you. No, there's going to be some wrath in love. And some justice if, if need be. Right? But, there's a, but, but there is an obvious limit to that justice. Because I'm not the law's giver, you know. But what I'm saying is you can't have love without sometimes wrath. And Jesus took our wrath to fulfill the wrath of God to, to, to make us righteous and just. Even when we say that word righteous, what that means is right standing. That you have right standing with God because of what Jesus did. So sin is horizontal and vertical. But sin is also choosing rebellion or religion over relationship. Rebellion says my way is better. Religion says my works are better. Both are off. Religion says my works matter more than Jesus' work. Rebellion says my way is better than Jesus' way. And those are two ways of missing relationship with Jesus. And those are ways of bucketizing how we sin. Because, you know, we can do right things with the wrong motives. Like, we can do the right things with the wrong heart, which, which, you, know, which you know, what motive, even what we see God, God like, the why you do something is, can be even more important than what you do. So sin is choosing religion or rebellion over relationship with him. But also, too, sin is what you don't do, but also, too, what you do do. It's commission, no omission. It's omission and commission. Because so, I think sometimes we, we can just kind of just like label sin into what we do do. That sounds weird. <laughs> and instead of looking at it as no, it's also like what we don't do. And, and I even think, you know, how sometimes in church we can get to this point of labeling sins. And this, see, this just shows how, evil, how, how depth this sin goes. Of what we will even say, well, I don't do that. At least I don't do that. And no, we don't want to label sins, but I think sometimes we need verbiage to help us know what our sins look like and sound like. And one of the things that I saw that I felt like really, really helped me, because I think sometimes whenever you're talking about sin, in, as you've been walking with Jesus, sometimes your sin can get really, 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 really unnoticeable. 
because you're not doing those horrible things that you deem horrible. So, you know, possibly a, a couple months back, I, I was studying on this topic and I came upon this bucketized way to maybe look at levels of sin. I'm not saying all sins are equal, but at the same time to maybe help you understand and give you some verbiage to help name maybe a place you are that maybe you don't see. And, kind of, and, and the way that they described it was kind of like this here. You've got, four, you've, you've got four different levels, right? One of them that they call gross sins. So these things are sexual immorality, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. Like these are the ones that most Christians would say, those sins. Because they're, the like, they're the most obvious. Be like, yeah, well, at least I ain't getting trashed every night. Right? Or at least, at least I ain't going to the club, sleeping around with everybody like I used to do. But, but then you've got conscious sins that we would almost say, well, everybody does it. Right? I mean, it's, 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 yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, everyone does it. So you take, because kind of the whole thing, everyone does it. To make you think it's not that bad. But then you got this, unconscious sins. These are patterns of thinking and feeling, more internal than external, root motivation, sins of omission. And, and these are things you would see that you would almost say, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know that. Because, some, because one of the things that I have been praying that I think you should be praying is, God, take what is not conscious in my life right now and make it conscious. We have all got ways of thinking, operating, and functioning that we have built up, like, like these ways of thinking and doing, acting, that have, we've been built up over years and years that, that we don't even know that they are ways of keeping us from what God's best is. And these would almost be like unconscious sins. But then it even gets deeper than that, and this is something that convicted the heck out of me. It's called these trust structures. Deep-seated attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which our behavior patterns flow. These deep inner postures of our being that do not rely on God but on self for our well-being. This is where we can hide stuff. We, we can say things like, I'm just being wise when really you're being greedy. But you can mask it with spiritual language. Right? Right? And say, well, at least I don't do when inwardly, deep down in your heart, you're, you, you have spiritualized your trust structures to where in, inwardly you're doing the right things outside, but inwardly you've still got a lock on certain things. Sin can be deceptive. And depending on where you're at, how long you've been following Jesus, what level the Holy Spirit has revealed to you some things. You've, you've got to say, are there gross sins, conscious sins, unconscious sins? Are there trust structures that I have not given over to Jesus? Now you say, John, like I said, this is not encouraging. <laughs> Some of you are like, when's this going to be over? <laughs> but you just feel like you're getting beat down. Now, let me, like I said, before you know the good news, you've got to sometimes know the bad news. And so I want to transition in, into what this good news looks like. 
So what do you do with your sin? Because we all have it. And it's, it's, and scripture gives this word that maybe you've heard before that might bring back some church trauma as well. What do you do with your sin? You give it to Jesus. You repent. Now, some of you, you think of that word, you think of, like I said, a person on the corner who is yelling and shouting at you, repent, 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 repent. And that word repentance, now we beat this word like a drum at Lifehouse because we think it's been completely misinterpreted. We think some people think it just means to feel bad, but the word actually means to turn. It means to rethink, right? So when you have sin, what scripture tells us, even the first thing that Jesus said when he came on the scene, whenever he launched on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, essentially saying, it's time to rethink, baby. It's time to turn because I'm coming to bring something new. Repent means to turn, to rethink. Can you go back, though, to that, to that last slide? This is what Martin Luther, the founder of the, of the Protestant Ref, Reformation, this is what he said about repentance. The first thing that was written on the 99 Thesis on the door in Wittenberg, he said this, the life of a Christian is one of repentance. Meaning, it is not just a moment you repent. You have a life of repentance. Let me break this down for you. You need a moment in the sand where you say, I am deciding to follow Jesus. And if you have never done that, I pray today is your day. Maybe you grew up in church, you were in youth group. Maybe you have a lot of church, but you don't have a lot of Jesus. You have this, this idea, if you go to a building, you put in your time, and you do that, then your work is good enough to make you right before God. We think we've already addressed that. It's not your work, it's Jesus' work. Okay, But there is a moment where you have to decide, I am going to repent and turn. And say, Jesus, I'm going to go from what I deem the good and bad being, what I deem the purpose of life, what I deem is right and wrong, I'm going to turn from the sovereignty of self to the sovereignty of the creator. And I'm going to turn and repent and follow Jesus. Everyone needs a moment like that. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't. But you would say there has been a moment of you have made a conscious turning towards Jesus. And why is it a life of repentance? Because as you're going like this, do you know how many times in a day, in an hour, in a minute, in a week, in a month, do you want to turn and go your own way? I was driving to the egg hunt yesterday. Just driving to the egg hunt. Just driving to the egg hunt. And I pulled out on Warwick what I thought was a good distance from the car. He did not think it was a good distance. He did not think it was a good distance. So he goes by me and he holds up the one finger salute the whole way doesn't even look at me puts it in front of his face <laughs> I'm following Jesus everything inside of me is like Whoop! you my boy. <laughs> boy you're lucky I'm saved there was so much inside of me that wanted to turn but but Wow, dude, that, that guy probably has, I mean, what kind of person does it take to do that? I mean, we live in a crazy world. He's lucky it was me. 
Because you got people, they won't react the way I did. They're going to go fast, pull up beside them, and only God knows what's going to happen. So I was like, what kind of pain does it take to do this? So I was just like, so then I said, nope, I'm not going to cuss them out. I'm not going to chase up to them. I'm going to follow Jesus. I had to repent. I had to turn back. Right? How many moments in your life, like I said, in a minute, in an hour, in a work day, you're following Jesus and you're going like this. Oh, got to turn. I can't believe. No, got to turn. Like you turning. Because your, your life isn't just one moment of repentance. It is a life of repentance. And repentance is a gift, y'all. Repentance is a gift. Because essentially what it, what, what it does is it enables you to turn back to what's right. It, it enables you to turn back to what's, and, and what scripture tells us is it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the anger of God. It's not the ticked offness of God. It's his kindness that leads us to turn and to repent. I pray you see this word repent isn't a dirty word. It's a loving word. That, yes, you make a decision to repent and turn, but then your life is going to be full of moments all throughout where you have to, you got to turn. But do you know what leads to repentance? It's conviction. Conviction. Y'all, conviction is a gift. I know, but some of y'all are like, I don't like to be convicted. You better be thanking Jesus whenever you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life. Because it is, it is the conviction that keeps your conscience soft and tender and open to the voice of the Lord. Paul talks about how there are people, he even talked about in, 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 in Bible days where their consciences have been what he called seared. That there is no more... There, it, it's not soft. It's not tender. It's not, it's, it's not, it, it, you know, I hate this word, supple. Like, because, it, because they have resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit for so long, they don't even feel it anymore. Whenever you feel conviction, whenever you feel your conscience, like, I, 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 you want to explore, because sometimes we can have this religious spirit that calls things wrong that really aren't wrong. And it's because the kind of church you grew up in, that it, it you know, <laughs> you know there, there, there's so many examples of, of this. But I know there are people in our church, they go to a theater. Their church told them they couldn't go to movies. And now they're coming into a church in a theater. <laughs> this is desecration. This is like, you know. And it's just like, no, it's like, no, it's, it's not a, like, you can have church in here. It's okay. Like. But, but at the same, same time, though, people, like, have genuine conviction about things that grieve the heart of God. And you've got to be able to, to discern what is religion and, and, and what is actually the conviction and the voice of the Lord, right? And, and so conviction is a gift, but, but I think sometimes we mix up conviction and condemnation. There is a difference. Conviction, it can be broken down this way is what you've done is wrong. Condemnation says who you are is wrong. One is godly, one is satanic. Let me just throw it out there. 
if you have made a decision to follow Christ, you haven't just turned, you've been given a new identity. Where you are not a sinner, you're a saint. You are not orphaned, you are a child of God. And your fundamental identity has been shifted. So some of you have felt this. You do something wrong and you hear these voices like, you don't love God. You're not a Christian. That experience was fake. Jesus doesn't love you. That is the voice of hell and Satan himself. That is the voice of condemnation, trying to attack your concreted identity in Christ. And when you hear that, you need to tell that voice to go back to hell where, like, where it came from. But if you hear the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit saying, should you have said that? Should you have slept with that person? Should you have done that? Should you have thought that? Should you have drank that? Should you have watched that? Should you have listened to, to that? That is the loving voice of the Holy Spirit trying to help you turn and get back on standard with what God's best is. And I think some of you long to hear the comforting voice of God, but you don't want the convicting voice just as much. Love, I love what Batterson said, Mark Batterson, he said this, you cannot listen to just half of what the Holy Spirit has to say. It's a package deal. If you aren't willing to listen to everything he has to say, you won't hear anything he has to say. If you tune out his convicting voice, you won't hear his comforting voice or his guiding voice either. Some of you long to be guided, but you don't want to be convicted. You want the comforting voice of God, but you don't want to be convicted. Conviction is, an, is love because if, if a parent does not speak to their child and say what you're doing is wrong, it's not the best. They're not good parents. And in the same way, a father will tell his son or daughter what is right and wrong. It is God's voice being spoken to you. Do not reject his convicted voice. Now, here's the thing. The Bible makes a differentiation between two types of repentance. Paul calls it sorrow. He calls one worldly sorrow and another one godly sorrow. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation and being saved. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And what he's saying is there are two kinds of repentance. One, you have a feeling like you've broken a divine law. You've got this sense you've done something. You've, you, you've done something against somebody, but there is no repentance. It's just a feeling. He says that is worldly repentance. But then he says godly sorrow is you, you feel that conviction. You hear the loving voice of the Lord saying you've gone off. But it's not just you feel something, then there is an action to turn. And what I long for Lifehouse to be filled with is people who long for a godly repentance. Not just I feel bad on Sunday when I'm in a service, leave and do the very same stuff. But people that say, I, I hear you, Lord, and I know you're loving, I know you're kind, I know you're a father that wants the best for me. So I'm just not going to feel this, I'm then going to turn and walk. I believe there's a direct correlation, you can come up Jarvis, there's a direct correlation no, here, here you go. Just going to do that slide. This slide says it a lot better than I could. You see in Scripture that there is a direct correlation between a deeper awareness of the presence of God and a love for God and, and an acute awareness of our sin. What that quote means is this, is you can see when people have a deep revelation and deep understanding of the depth and depravity of their sin, that correlates into a deeper passion and hunger for the things of God.
Why? Because when you know what you've been saved from, when you know what the Lord has delivered you from, when you know what debt has been paid for you, the response is not tepid. The response isn't, God, you can have a peace, but yeah, thanks. The response is extravagant. The response is wholehearted. And I love these people when I see it legit happen in a church setting where you can tell they understand what they've been forgiven from. They understand the hell that they have been delivered from. They understand the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God because it's a direct correlation to they know the depth and depravity of their sin. This one story, we're going to read this and we're going to close with this. And many of you know this story. It's the woman that was, that came to Jesus who even what the culture said was a woman of like, she was the town woman that everyone knew her reputation. So it says Luke chapter seven, we're gonna read the whole thing. Don't like just engage with, with me today. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. <laughs> I love how Jesus doesn't leave that out. He's like, she got a lot have been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love then jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven my thought is this maybe our lack of love passion zeal and commitment to jesus is directly related to our lack of revelation of what debt has been paid My heart for our church is that we would understand what we've been forgiven of. So we don't, so we aren't tepid in our response. We aren't slow in our following. We don't have this, well, God owes us. He owes us nothing. He's already given us what we've needed most. And that is a secured soul, a new identity, a relationship with God. So we don't come to God saying, well, if you do something for me, then I'll serve you. He's already done what you needed the most. So now we live from a, God, because you've done this, because I've been forgiven, because you, I, you paid a debt I could never pay the rest of my life, the response of my life isn't going to be compartmentalized. It's not going to be tepid. It's not going to be lackluster. It's going to be all of me. Because those who have been, think they've been forgiven of little will love little, but those who know they begin, they've been forgiven of much will love much. I pray we have a church that knows we have been forgiven of much because we are all like this woman we are all her sins were many Dwayne's sins were many 
Paul's sins were many. Bernita's sins were many. And, I, and he, we don't understand the cultural response. A woman busting into rabbis eating. It, a jar of perfume, smashing it down, crying on his feet, wiping it. It was extravagant. It was crazy. But the response was warranted because what she knew had happened in her soul. And my prayer for us at Lifehouse is the response we give to Jesus is extravagant. Maybe even considered crazy by some people. But why? Because we understand what we have been forgiven of. Would you stand up with me? I just want to close out today's service. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you'd say, John, today, as you said earlier, I have not made that line in the sand decision. And I pray today, as we've talked about sin, you have felt nothing but the loving kindness of God. We have been praying that you would not feel beat down, you wouldn't have trauma, but through everything that is said, you would feel the weight and depth of the problem, but you would also feel the glory of the solution. And his name is Jesus. He paid a debt you could not pay. The cross wasn't just done something for you, it was done by you. But at the same time, he died a death we should have died, but yet what we're gonna celebrate next Sunday is he rose again and defeated Satan, sin, and death, your greatest enemies. And now he offers resurrection life. He offers new life to us as a free gift that we simply receive, we don't achieve. And from that place of now being accepted by God, we now live a, we now live a new life in him. Not about rebellion, not about relationship, not about the sovereignty of self or the good works we do, but we walk in a relationship with Jesus. Free from the power of sin, do we sin? Of course we do, but we've got the gift of repentance. Lord, forgive me. We turn back. We keep on going. We don't look back at the past. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing as we fix our eyes on him, he's perfect. When the Father sees us, he doesn't see what we've done. He sees what Jesus did. So my heart today, if you've never made that decision today, would you make it? No judgment. God's arms are open wide. His invitation is here today. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we love you today. Thank you that you've been chasing people today all week. You've been chasing people saying, I'm here. And I pray today that they would know that you are not there with a condemning finger. You're there with a loving hand of love. Saying, take my hand. Take my hand. If you want to make that, de that decision today to follow Jesus, all I want you to do is just say yes. When I count to you three, the way we do it at our church, we believe there's power in yes of you saying yes to Jesus. And that when you say yes, essentially what you're doing is you're opening the door of your heart to let Jesus in and to, to you to throw down the sovereignty of self and you now allow the God that created you to take the place of creator and king and God and sovereign in your life. So I'm gonna count to three, if that's you, would you just say yes? You can shout it quietly, whatever, we don't care because this is between you and God. So right now, if that's you, you want to make a line in the sand decision and say, I want to start to follow Jesus. When I count three, just say yes. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. So look, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the whole church to join in with those that said yes today. And we're just so excited. Because we know today if you said yes, you have new life in Christ. And, we, and all with this prayer, we want to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. So would everybody here join with me in praying with those that said yes today. Say this, Jesus, I welcome you 
I welcome your love, your grace, and your forgiveness into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, but giving me the benefit of what you did, and that is new life in you. So in response, I give you all of me, not a part of me, 100%. I'm all in, but I receive all of you. What a trade. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Amen. Can we just give it up for all those that said yes today to following Jesus? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.